You're listening to WNHHLP 103.5 FM New Haven, streaming live at www.newhavenindependent.org and broadcasting live from our offices on 51 Elm Street. This is another episode of Artbeat with Daniel Fitzmorris. Good afternoon and welcome to Artbeat. I'm Daniel Fitzmorris, the executive director at Creative Arts Workshop and there are a lot of things on my mind today, and so I'm just going to start, and, and then we'll talk, we'll talk about all of these great guests who are here and um, what we want to do today, but I, I can only distill um, one comment, or the one comment I found so far today that I felt was particularly art-related and creative, creativity-related and, and positive um, was from Colin McEnroe, um, who's, I think, actually on the air right now. Um, so, so I'll just quote him while... It, what he posted, which was mourn for a day or two if you have to, but then stop and turn your eyes and energies to hope. The art you make, the bike you ride, the crop you grow, the business you start, the prayer you say alone or with brothers and sisters, the memo you write, the date you go on, the dog you adopt, the walk you take, the food you cook, infuse every act with courage, generosity, and honesty. Lift up your hearts Courage, generosity, and honesty, compassion, creativity, curiosity. This moment should teach us to make a world based on these. There are forces in the world so much more powerful than politics. And one of those could be to go on a road trip. How's that for an awkward pivot? Um, so I'm really, um, this is actually sort of a follow up episode because we talked to Mary Donahue uh, a couple of weeks ago about her work uh, curating an exhibit at the New Haven Museum called Road Trip. And we're there. Um, and, and, and honestly, of all things today, it might be a great day to take a road trip or maybe take a visit or go to Yale Art Gallery or the Yale Center for British Art or um, some place to find some comfort. Um, I'm also really glad that we have Basie and Jay who are here and they're going to, we're going to just open up this whole exhibit and talk about really what it is. When we last spoke, it was just sort of an inkling that was about to occur and we were collecting some uh, ideas and some art and some road, literal road trip artifacts from people. So welcome to the show. Thank you very much. much. So let's start. um, If Mary, you could just introduce yourself and, and then we'll go to Jay and Basie and just who you are what your contribution is to this project, just to provide some context. Sure. I'm Mary Donahue, and I'm an architectural historian by trade, and I'm also the assistant publisher of Connecticut Explored Magazine, or the magazine of Connecticut history. But here in New Haven, I'm the guest curator of the Road Trip Show, which will, will open on November 22nd at the New Haven Museum. And last time I was here with Dan... We were talking about crowdsourcing, which was a new trend for museums where we reach out to the community and try to bring those community stories and mementos into an exhibit, which is what we've done with Road Trip. So since I've talked to you last, we've conducted almost uh, 15 or 16 long interviews with people from ages 16 to 91 about their road trips and their stories. We've gotten over 150 artifacts in from the public. That'll be in the show. We've also dug deep into some wonderful museum collections like the American Diner Museum 
and really sourced things that are in are from New Haven or tell the New Haven story. And our interpretation of road trip is based on what we, what architectural historians call roadside architecture. It's those locally built small places along the road before the interstates that really supported Americans when they went out to take a trip. And that's been something we've done in our car culture for a hundred years now. Great. And, and Jay, welcome. Hi, I'm Jay Gitlin. I, this is my 30th year teaching history at Yale. Uh, in, in my other life, I am also a musician. I've been a member of the New Haven local of the AF of M, um, many, many years, actually close to 50 years, I think 50 years now. Congrats. Uh, and so, so been a musician. My wife and I have a band, if I may plug the band. It's the Bales Gitlin Band, uh, available for parties for playing jazz, romantic music, anything you would like, uh, which is a perfect segue in a way to our son. So um, I'm Basie Gitlin. Uh, I am by day the director of development for Yale University Library. Um, but I'm also active in my free time with a range of uh, museums and cultural institutions, including the New Haven Museum, where uh, I am a board member and was certainly very enthusiastic when I heard from our executive director, Margaret Ann Tokarczewski, about uh, the plans for a show to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the National Historic Preservation Act and uh, speak to the evolution of road trip culture in America. Right. Great. Well, this is, I know we have a lot to unpack. So, I, I mean, and I'm really glad uh, Mary already gave us a peek. So you crowdsource some of this stuff, some of this information, artifacts, interviews, ideas, stories. I mean, um, I think that's an amazing amount of stuff that you got out of it. Was there anything really surprising? I think some of the surprising stories were those told by, we had a, uh, road trip story from someone who was 12 when he went cross country with his family. And we're going to be featuring his hand-drawn map in the exhibit. There's one color, which is the road they thought they were going to take and a completely different color. He marked the road they did take and they're pretty (laughs) different. Uh, And so he's 16 now. And it was interesting to me to talk to somebody that age about what it, what happens when you look out the window instead of being glued to your phone and what, what's, what happens when you're actually engaged with where you're going to stay next and you're actively planning it while you're on the road? We also talked to a New Haven resident who's 91 who grew up during the Depression and really could speak to what did New Haveners do when they just about didn't have any money to spend on a trip? What were those day trips that they took? So whether you went to Savin Rock for the day or whether, uh, in his case, his family would rent a cement square at Hammonasset State Park and put their pitch their little tent up for the summer season. Uh, on next yeah, that to, was a on, road trip at, at, yeah. at a time. You oh, didn't yeah, take it, as long a road trip. He, he claims it took an hour and a half yeah. to get there, which in, now in the age of interstate sounds crazy, but you know, in, in the uh, age just, of traffic, it sounds just exactly. about right. And uh, so, so we had a really interesting variety of ages and people and, uh, groups of people that talk to us about their trips. And did you think that, uh, like, you there's so many different objects, and that's one of the things we talked about last time was, will we get maps? Will we get pictures? Will we get, what What are some, I, I love the age range you just showed. How can you show uh, or discuss, and you guys can jump in if you've seen the exhibit, um, you know, 
the range of artifacts that you might get when you've crowdsourced some of the content. We really had to organ- kind of take everything in and then think about it and organize it. So we've got one section, for example, that's all children's souvenirs. So that's your charm bracelets and little uh, and your Viewmaster cameras and toy trucks and banks. But then we've got another section that's adult souvenirs. So that's ashtrays, shot glasses, swizzle sticks, and uh, cigarette holders. Right. I love the image of the swizzle sticks. I think, and I never, I don't collect swizzle sticks, but that's, I can see how that would come into play here. So Mary, a fast question for you. So the hat in the shape of a Hershey's kiss, is that the in the adult section or the <laughs> child section? I have to say, we probably put that in the children's section. Oh, okay. But, but that I, doesn't mean you can't wear it. Oh, good. Thank <laughs> God. Fine. You can't wear it when you see the exhibit, though, I right? Think the, I think the things we chose for the adult section are literally, Jay, things you can't do if you're under 18, like drink or smoke. <laughs> so. That's great. And you, and we were talking beforehand, too, that there's also um, some videos, some interviews. This isn't just a static exhibit. There's um, there's a whole lot of interactivity, if it feels like that, we, at least. We have an interactive room set up. We have got uh, 16 interviews in their full length that'll be posted on the museum's YouTube channel. So you'll be able to see all the different types of people and ages and trips that people told us about. Uh, We also will have uh, an iPad installation that'll show you uh, a seven or nine minute video about uh, taken out of those longer interviews A really fun thing that's interactive is New Haven Seating, which is a company that's been in business in New Haven for over 60 years, Mm -hmm. building restaurant seating, built us a diner booth from scratch, a beautiful new 1960s replica diner booth. It is the most beautiful color of turquoise with white chevrons on the upholstery and this boomerang pattern for mica for the top. Families will be able to sit there and children will have children's games. Well, placemats you can color, which you may remember from your road trips. You'll be able to sit there and watch the videos. And so one of the rooms is really devoted to interactive activities that you can do as a family. This is an exhibit everybody will enjoy. This is one one of the things I don't always tell my cousins come down and see this, but I'm telling my cousins in Albany and New Jersey, it's like, no, no, you're really going to have a good time with this, so you should come down. Right. I, I hope you will get crowds for this. It I sounds think. quite one of a kind. But but you, let's bring dad and son into this too, because have you taken a road trip together? More than one, one or road two. trip? <laughs> yeah, quite a lot. It was definitely a, a favorite genre of the, the family vacation when I was growing up, and... um I think it, there was there was always sort of a fun uh, element to going places that were just familiar enough and not uh, not difficult to get to, but where there was truly a sense of difference. And uh, and actually, as I've been thinking about this show more sort of philosophically as a younger person, but someone who enjoys being analytical about things like this, it strikes me that a skill that I was probably subtly building or that was being built for me on all of these trips to Pennsylvania Dutch country and to Cape Cod and to New Jersey and uh, to Maine and so on was an ability to navigate the unfamiliar in a very manageable sort of bite-sized chunk. Mm. And that's something that um, 
it's a very nice way to be able to do that. It gives me a great sense of satisfaction to see that our son knows how to have fun and he knows how to plan vacations. So he's quite good at this, whether he's going to Spain or Iceland or, or Maine or Pennsylvania, he really knows how to, how to construct a, a really busy and fun vacation mm-hmm. for which I, I'm grateful for that. And so I guess it's okay that we inflicted upon him, uh, annual summer vacations in Pennsylvania Dutch country, <laughs> which is where we went when I was a kid no and when my little brother, who's 12 years younger. So it's sort of in that sense, almost yeah. three errors or three generations of people going to Pennsylvania Dutch country. And there was a reason for it. My parents uh, grew up in upstate New York, so they grew up in farms and then they moved to Long Island. And so it really did their heart good to be able to see the open country, to see farm animals, to see the horses in Pennsylvania Dutch country. It smelled good to them. It just was such a different environment. So that was that and the fact that it was a great emphasis on wonderful food there uh, was a great thing. But as Basie says, uh, it was just far enough uh, to be different and yet not that far, uh, which made it in some ways perfect. So that's, I think, why they started me on it. And then we, we did it to him all the time. But, you know, when he was a little kid, we went on these car rides and, and went on the horse and buggy. So it there was, there was some... a great, very old fashioned mm-hmm. uh, family amusement park called Dutch Wonderland, which I think oh, I know we it. looked up and was founded <laughs> in the late 50s or thereabouts, and, which is wonderful and really uh, more special to me when I was that age than anything closer to here. And um, yeah, between that and a completely distinctive kind of culture and architecture and, um, you know, motels with pools that were right out of the, the Chevron Formica era. Um, it, it created a sort of transporting experience. Right. And the food and the odd roadside attractions and the boredom. And, and did you guys, did you, I mean, in these sort of two generations, three generations of road trips, I mean, did you submit anything yourself to the exhibit? Do you have any artifacts? Yes. Yes. So we have (laughs) lots of artifacts. We're we're definitely a collecting family. And so we have things picked up in the 50s during my dad's childhood. Things picked up in the 90s in my childhood. Things picked up in between and since that are old and new uh, that describe the region and um, all sorts of things. It's sort of the dangerous combination of people who are sentimental and travel and have fun and also have a, the thoughts of historians and therefore buy things because they're interesting. So right. well, very what, dangerous what's combo. A, what's a standout artifact? It doesn't have to be something you'd submitted into the exhibit necessarily. Well, but there's something... one that I, I'm still looking for, so it's too late. So I couldn't <laughs> find it. Mary, please include it. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case we can get our hands on it. But there was there's a little town in Pennsylvania, Dutch country called Lititz, L-I-T-I-T-Z. And you can they make chocolate there, which was great fun. They also... They, they show you how they bend pretzels because pretzels are a very big product of Pennsylvania Dutch country. And you can do a thing where they teach you how to bend a pretzel and you get a pretzel bender certificate, which we had framed and it hung in my bedroom in Long Island for years and years. I'm still trying to find it. What is it from? Like 1960, something uh, like that? Probably 59 it, or 60. If, if, um, if my phone was on, I could pull up the picture of me and now my wife with our certificates in Lidditz. And we did the exact same thing probably six years ago. 
Um, so uh, some of these traditions live on and on and on. I do love those little uh, what do we viewfinder the viewfinder things where you see the little picture. The other thing which I I will with some embarrassment admit that I still enjoy is getting a penny and and cranking it out so there's some impression made on that little penny of the the zoo or the or Dutch Wonderland. I'm sure we have, and I just can't resist. Because it, you really can't resist. I really can't resist. But it's it, the material culture of of these fun occasions. It just reminds you of it, you know, every time you look at it. One of the things I want to pick up on from what Mary said before um, about car culture, it it struck me in thinking about this that depending on where you're from, part of where you're from are the places nearby, so that mm-hmm. when you have cars, and this has been true for the whole 20th century. You accumulate destinations. So you don't just live in New Haven or Brantford or Milford or, or Newington. You also, in part, live in those places you can reach with your car. So that I, from what I've discovered from talking to people, that there are many people in New Haven, Maine is one of those places for them. So that they, ha- they go to the Maine diner. There's wonderful places mm-hmm. in Maine. Mm-hmm. So to be from New Haven is also to go to Maine for vacation. Growing up in Long Island, to be from Long Island, at least for us, was to go to Pennsylvania Dutch country yeah. on vacation. That was nearby. It made sense to go there. And what that means for the museum, if you have a, a cultural institution whose mission is in part to reflect the shared history of a place, part of that shared history is actually the history of its inhabitants traveling to a, some concentric circles of places in neighboring states. Right. That's where we'll see probably some similar places and some similar, um, I bet not a lot of submissions came road trips people would take in Arkansas. Um, I don't want to speak for the exhibit necessarily. I haven't seen it yet. But yeah, that's a great point. You're going to see, I mean, maybe you will see those epic cross-country road trips and the Grand Canyon trip exhibited. And, um, you know, I know in our family, we took I mean, it, there, you know you like road trips when you get on a plane and then you rent a car and take a road trip. And <laughs> that's, that's happened. Right. Um, that's happened before. And, uh, I mean, there's a chance coming up to see the exhibit um, quite viscerally. And, and it's a really cool preview party. Yes, our preview party. And I have to say, uh, we built the exhibit around a framework of these phenomenal photos by a nationally known historic preservationist and architectural historian, named Richard Longstreth, who is a professor in Washington. He has a book that came out last year called uh, Road Trip, Roadside America, Custard's Last Stand to the Wigwam Restaurant. And those photographs now are iconic. He took them in the 70s and 80s, and a lot of these places have actually disappeared. So we used about a dozen of his beautiful photos from that era that will put you right on a two-lane highway, maybe on Route 1 in Connecticut, uh, right there as the building block for this exhibit. So Mm -hmm. you'll see his photography. And our event on November 19th, there's a member's first look from 5 to 6 p.m. party. Then there's a party from 6 to 8.30 for the public. We're going to have DJ Dave Kuhn, who has a actually has a photograph in the exhibit. He's going to spin classic road trip vinyl. We're going to have diner-inspired appetizers, drinks, and treats by Spice Catering Group. We're going to do travel trivia. We're going to have car games. It's just going to be really fun. So we're hoping you'll join us for an evening of food, music, and fun previewing the exhibit on November 19th. 
Now, we're going to be giving away a pair of tickets to Road Trip Revelry, which is what we're calling it, on Facebook. So if you log on to Facebook and like us at the New Haven Museum, maybe you'll win tickets. Uh, Tickets can be bought at our website, newhavenmuseum.org, Road Trip Revelry. And we hope to see you there. And because we're on the radio, I can't help but mention, I mean, radio icon, Ray Anderson will be there. I mean, and if you've never met seen talked to heard the show i mean am radio radio is such a part of road trip culture mm-hmm. right i mean now it's a little different i guess but um uh that was certainly a big big part of it yeah ray anderson was uh, i first met him at the at the radio station in hamden when we were crowdsourcing because we were trying to get the word out that we'd be at the ethnic center at southern uh connecticut state university we'd be downtown at the museum we'd be we're looking for things and then he started to tell me about his road trips that he's taken with both his children, who are millennials, as well as when he was a child. And all those stories about wonderful road trips along one of the neon capitals of Connecticut, the Berlin Turnpike, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, his father was a traveling salesman. Well, I decided right then and there that not only was I going to make an appointment to talk about crowdsourcing with him, but we did an interview with him. And so he he's one of the interviews, the uh, 16 or 17 interviews that will be on YouTube along with Basie and Jay. But he's our MC for the evening, and he is a road trip guy. Right. So covered some of our bases, but I think there's some really interesting like big topics we can talk about as far as road trips and the museum and what's the point of having this exhibit. And, and one of the things that stands out to me is... Um, like we, we like to say everybody takes road trips, right? We like to say that this is sort of um, an everybody thing. And I don't think, I mean, I don't think everybody takes road trips. It's a quasi-universal um, experience. And I wonder how that is manifest in the exhibit, right? Is there a way of, um, you know, a road trip for some people might be going to Orange or, or going up to hike um, at Sleeping Giant State Park, you know, uh, accessibility of road trips. And um, I don't know, is there New Haven so diverse and complex and different? And how does how yeah. does all of New Haven kind of, I mean, it's great that this exhibit is here because maybe, and not my hope certainly would be that it inspires a road trip or two. I think um, that there's uh, definitely categories of road trips that we heard about. There's day trips. We have a section called a, a ride in the country, which is what my parents used to say when you're just going to go for an afternoon. Sunday drive. A Sunday drive. And in that part of the exhibit, we have this fabulous array of products that were designed for you to take in the car so you could have that picnic or that sandwich or that thermos of hot coffee out with you when you were just going out for an afternoon somewhere. Uh, We have a fabulous collection of things that we borrowed from the Museum of Connecticut History that were produced here in the state. Thermos was located here, for example, but Mm. there were other other companies in New Britain and Meriden that produced every kind of picnic basket, sandwich holder, thermos, et cetera, that you would ever need to go out so that's for just very an relatable. afternoon. I mean, that's very relatable. Everybody has, I mean, a picnic can be a road trip. Then we had uh, day. Tri- we had people that went on day trips uh, lo- a little further afield, and that's where things like the state parks or the seashore came into, into play. We had the, there's the sort of the weekend trip, And there's also things like the college tour. And it turns out that before Interstate 91 was built, the sort of Route Route 5 and Northern from New Haven all the way up to Northampton in Massachusetts was called the Connecticut Highway, College Highway, I mean, the College Highway. And we found that on a postcard. 
So you see that labeled. So uh, people have fond memories of that. We have a section in the show on the 1964-65 World's Fair. And of course, people in Connecticut just played a huge part in being not only the audience for that, but having companies represented like Sikorsky or Travelers uh, who had pavilions at the Mm -hmm. fair. There were special trains that left New Haven that ended up in Grand Central, and then you made a connection to go out to the 1964 World's Fair. So we have a really great array of uh, souvenirs that were related to that. That's a that was that stood out in people's memories mm-hmm. too, uh, and then you've got the two week vacation trip, right. and that's where you really go farther afield. And so I was surprised to see uh, a couple of younger families that we have under thirty that have done the Route sixty six drive or the from New Haven to the West Coast drive, and uh, they shared their stories about that. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, uh, were you a... going to say something? Because I, it's, I guess what I'm getting is that your know, vacations and road trips are full of nostalgia and sometimes pain and sometimes problems. And I don't know if any of that came out in the one exhibit. of the areas that we wanted to cover is that it. You're right. It isn't always necessarily. It wasn't always necessarily something you looked forward to. African American families had the problem of trying to find services and accommodations. And I think if you're from New England, you you tend to think, well, that happened in the South. But it really happened happened everywhere. So we have a section uh, in the exhibit about something that was called the, the Green Book, which was the Negro Traveler's Guide. A New York City postman in 1936 decided that there should be a guide to accommodations and services so that African Americans, when they were traveling, could be safe, number one, but could also find the services that they needed and not feel uh, that they were being underserved. And so the first year, 1936, the Green Book, as it was known, covers New York City. But the next year, 1937, covers the entire country. And Connecticut is well represented in the Green Book. So cities like Hartford, New Haven, Bridgeport, Stamford, Meriden, all had sites. And then smaller communities like New London were added later. But we were excited to find, for example, in 1947, that among the let's say, dozen or so New Haven places that were listed, which included things like beauty parlors and tourist homes, which were private homes that would accommodate visitors, kind of a Airbnb model, mm-hmm. you know, but private homes that would accommodate visitors, uh, hotels, et cetera. We found uh, in 1947 of the dozen or so buildings that are cited for New Haven in the Green Book, there's four still standing. And the one that really stood out to us that we featured in the exhibit is the Monterey Club, which was on, is on Dix, the building's mm-hmm. still there. It was on Dixwell Avenue. It had international jazz greats come to that club. So whether it was Count Basie or John Coltrane or Billie Holiday, they came to that club and they could not stay at places like the Taft Hotel. They had to stay in places that would accommodate them uh, and so we featured the Monterey Club in the Green Book, really to give people an idea that there were different experiences on the mm-hmm. road. And you, you had to, the motto of the Green Book is something like, uh, take it with you, you'll never know when you need, you'll need it. And yeah. I think that was true That's for so a lot revealing. of black travelers. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just want to, I want to add one thing and ha- actually ask a question. 
the college highway was also where Yale guys, uh, that's what they traveled to have dates with women at Smith and Mount Holyoke. So the college highway was well known in sort of Yale lore yeah. back in the day. I want to ask Mary, so was Thermos a brand name? Thermos is a brand name. I never realized that. Yeah. See? See, you learn something every day. That's how you do learn. When we were talking about these sort of the varieties of, of vacations, one of the things that certainly struck us in our family that was a contrast, my wife grew up in East Tennessee. They went on family vacations, but they did it with an Airstream. You know, there was always, so it was the camping sort of thing. They went to a lot of national parks. And, and in a certain way, they saw all these beautiful natural s- sites, but they never got out of the, they never left home in a certain way they lived in their trailer they lived in the airstream so mom still cooked the meals they didn't eat out uh my family was utterly different from that that's not what my mom wanted to do it's not what any of us wanted to do we want to go out stay in the motel jump in the pool play miniature golf and, and sample local food so it was very different so that's two different types of vacations and in talking about this because it's such a wonderful topic it just it starts conversations and people have such fond memories. Yeah. And I feel like we can, I mean, the joy of this exhibit is that it's sort of boundless. And, and I love, uh, I don't know who would said it about, we hope crowds of people come and, and I could see two audiences of crowds of people, right? People who are from this area who, um, who, are, who love road trips or love traveling or, or, or love New Haven history, but also we're, we're a road trip for a lot of people, right? You know, we're the drive through mm-hmm. from New York to Boston or on the way to the Cape. And so it'd be a great pit stop for that. But um, I think I'm going to pivot this to Basie, which, cause you've been to the museum. Um, you know, what would someone expect when, if they've never been to the New Haven museum before, um, how do we find it? Was, how are things set up? What's it going to cost for me to get in? Um, you know, because I agree, once you get in, um, I think this exhibit would really be gripping. So um, the New Haven Museum is this really, to me, very interesting uh, adaptation of the 19th century historical society that has really come into its own as a 21st century local and regional history museum. Uh, collections, given the the age of the institution and the, the amount of significant history from the 17th century onwards that uh, kind of comes to rest in New Haven, we have incredible uh, collections of 17th and 18th and 19th century American decorative arts and interesting paintings and um, products that sort of showcase the industrial past of New Haven, interesting things connecting to Eli Whitney, connecting to early bicycles, connecting to um, the the development of trade, you know, in the 18th century. So it's this very diverse um, permanent collection um, and then I think what we've seen with Margaret Ann Takarczewski as the executive director over the last several years was an increase in um, in shows that that are sort of looking at the importance of New Haven history from a slightly different lens and that uh, that touch on things that are really truly historically significant, but that also um, really cross demographic boundaries in terms of their own interest and their appeal to the broader New Haven community. So the the recent show on the bicycle, the show on Worcester Square, which is where I live and was a fascinating introduction to the the context of a place that I've come to know very well personally um, as it came to be in the 19th century. The show on Dean Keller, the New Haven-based monuments man, who was also an art professor at Yale and the sort of um, multivalent nature of his own career and his own life. 
Um, and now with the show highlighting what is both an extremely important and still somewhat underappreciated aspect of American history with something that really resonates for people on a personal level. Um, and so I think it's, it's a wonderful time for the museum in, in all of those ways. Um, so admission, I believe, is $4. Um, and also uh, and membership uh, is, is also easy to get and allows one uh, entrance anytime. Um, and when you walk in, basically you have, uh, you have on the ground floor a broad array of New Haven history, 17th century onwards, um, with the, the whole mix of objects I was talking about earlier, decorative arts, paintings, um, sort of industrial relics, um, things that highlight uh, different neighborhoods like Fairhaven, like Worcester Square, like the, the evolution of the green, all of that. Um, and then as you go upstairs into the areas that are, um, that are being used for temporary exhibitions, you really see um, extremely high quality, uh, extremely professional level exhibits that, as Mary was talking about, have, um, have sort of family-friendly components, have audiovisual components, have um, objects in a range of media from the fine arts to books and manuscripts um, from the superb library in the New Haven Museum or elsewhere. Um, things borrowed from lenders in really creative ways like the crowdsourced materials for a show like this, um, which is especially smart because many of the things, including the sorts of things that came from the, the Bales and Gitlin family, are not in institutional collections. People are not necessarily collecting 1950s and 60s road trip ephemera <laughs> at scale, but in a century, they probably will have. Yeah. Uh, and so in that way, it's a very forward-looking yeah. show and one that I'm very pleased to, that we can be a part of. You put the swizzle sticks out first before they were <laughs> a collectible. And, and I know too, I mean, and I love having the New Haven Museum here because it's one of the most underknown uh, visual arts institutions, right? The, all of these exhibits are not... Um, you're not walking into a history book. You're walking into something that's very alive and well put together. And maybe at the preview or the first day when the show opens, we can have a sign-up sheet in the front for people who want to play miniature golf the next day. Uh, <laughs> I'll have to check on that. Okay. There's something that, that would be that. very interactive. There's something to that for sure. I, I do want to mention uh, that we were able to really dig into a couple interesting museum collections and other places. One was the Connecticut Historical Society. So they loaned us everything from a uh, wonderful 1950s bathing suit that'll be in the lobby to a Vita, what, uh, this company called Vita Root. And they actually made the first gasoline pump meters. <laughs> Those ones that you think of that are digital now, but they used to have little numbers that changed. Right. But how much you're paying per gallon, how many gallons you've pumped, and what the dollar amount is. They invented that, and it's still in use today. So we have an early one. Uh, we're very partial to things produced in Connecticut here. At, you know, when I'm at Connecticut Explored, so uh, I found that at the Connecticut Historical Society. We also worked with the American Diner Museum in Providence, Rhode Island. They loaned us a 1930s vintage. Totally want to go there. Yeah, vintage <laughs> you diner take a road booth. trip to go to all of these yeah. places. So we've got this great. 1930s vintage diner booth that then they've helped us set with vintage diner China, all of which was produced in America. And only two out of three of the companies represented are still in, or only one out of three are still in business. They, we borrowed things from Clark's diner. We borrowed their, one of their tabletop jukeboxes and that's just blocks from here on Whitney. Wow. 
Uh, they've been in business for over 60 years. And when we, when I walked in the door and said, can I have this out of your front window for the museum? They were gracious enough to say, absolutely. So with that tabletop jukebox that says Clark's Diner will be in the exhibit. Uh, we also had the American Diner Museum really dig deep in their collection and look for New Haven things for us. So we have some wonderful matchbooks of New Haven diners that they've loaned us. And they also found a blueprint for a diner here in New Haven. And I remembered eating there way long ago, many years ago. And I thought, I wonder if it's still there. And lo and behold, it is. It's the Tandor Restaurant on the corner of Chapel and Howell is a New Jersey-built, streamlined diner par excellence they, they, the owner has done a miraculous, wonderful job of keeping the interior intact. You'll go in, you'll see the diner booths, you'll see the, the stools at what's now the bar would have been the counter. And they, the American Diner Museum had blueprints for that diner from 1955. So we framed one of those and we have the photos of the building still here in New Haven. So it was really fun to crowdsource in a different way where I was poking around New yeah. Haven looking for things in collections that related to New Haven. So I think it'll be really fun. Yeah, this is not a cookie-cutter exhibit. Um, I want to pose a, a historical question to Jay, and, and then we'll have a few minutes to round up all of the dates, details, and whatnot, which is, um, are road trips timeless? Are we always going to go on road trips? We seemingly, you know, we've got a lot of history here. This is a, the 20th century we're capturing, right, in this mm-hmm. exhibit. Will there be another exhibit of this kind hundred years from now that connects that generation of road trips? Dan, it's a great question. Um, nothing, as far as I'm concerned, things occasionally present themselves as timeless, but nothing's timeless. Everything is embedded in time. So, you know, you, and you can't go home again. The 50s are, are you know, mm-hmm. were a, a moment in time. Yeah. There was a certain innocence about it, maybe a certain naivete, uh, things were accessible to to families with ordinary incomes. Uh, you could there was something very wholesome about the fifties when you think about the things people did and the kinds of uh, entertainments and fun mm-hmm. activities that you had. So I don't. It's timeless in its enjoyment. The memories go on and on. Mm-hmm. But I guess I wouldn't say it's timeless. You know, it's very much of a time. Right. Uh, and one of the things I just wanted to mention before another kind of vacation which, again, I'm not sure people will still be doing this, but the topic is so rich, and in a sense, the enthusiasm is timeless in that, in that way. Uh, I was talking to some folks who told me that when, when they're 10 years older than I am, so they were talking about family vacations in the 40s, and they said that we used to go to all the different St. Saint Anne, Saint Anne de Beaupre shrines all around New England and into Quebec, they have French-Canadian ancestry. And they said there'd be a shrine. There's a shrine, for example, near Sturbridge Village. You right. know, Sturbridge Village being this old New England place, but there was also a St. Anne de Beaupre shrine right near there. We would go there. We'd stay in the motel next door, go in the pool, and then we'd go to the shrine. So their vacations were always around. You know, so there are so many varieties here. So the enthusiasm that it right. engenders. The spirit of yeah, it. Yeah, the spirit's timeless. And I have to share a story that just came back to me while we were talking um, that that I just thought was such a perfect encapsulation of, of how appealing this type of trip is to people. Um, a number of years ago, um, when I was living in England, I visited a country house called Holcomb Hall, which is in Norfolk, um, sort of north, north of Cambridge on the shore. 
and um, the Cook family were the ancestral family whose ancestors, you know, built this house in the 18th century. And there was a little display of what the current Cook family likes to do. And they were middle-aged parents with, with relatively young children. And there was a photo of the four of them standing in front of an Airstream being towed by a Volvo station wagon saying, the Cook family enjoy, enjoy taking trips in their 1950s American Airstream. And I'm sure they didn't have any evidence of being there at the time. So there was this house that, you know, thousands of people every year are paying good money to see. Uh, and they were abandoning it to get into an airstream and travel around England. <laughs> so, it kind of says it all. That that does say a lot. And 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 I truly, truly hope that people can take it some time and go and get inspired um, by being there. And I agree. Bring all your cousins. Bring make a road trip of it to go see road trip. And um, I mean, there's two important things to know. One is that the exhibit opens to the public on November 22nd, and it's going to continue through june so you've really got a lot of time to figure out if you're if you're lacking road trip in your life um you might chart your next path or if you can't go on a road trip this summer or or god knows you're not going to go on a road trip in march so uh it's a great escape i could see how we could escape um uh by seeing the exhibit but also this great event this party this members party um which is from five to six on saturday the 19th which is a amazingly around the corner and um, there's no reason not to become a member uh, in order to go to that, in my opinion. Um, anything else we should cover on the wrap-up? I mean, you could certainly go to newhavemuseum.org and see all of the details. And um, yeah, truly, if you've never been, you're missing one of New Haven's visual, cultural, historical gems um, right there hidden in front of you on Whitney Avenue. And you don't have to be a member to buy a ticket to their opening reception. Oh, I'm and sorry. Great. Are, Even better. Yes. And we are actually going to, not that I don't want you to become a member too, but, uh, and we're also going to be giving away a pair of tickets to Road Trip Revelry on Facebook. So go on and like us at the New Haven Museum and maybe you'll win your ticket. That would be even better. And this is a fabulous museum and it really deserves the support of the community. Uh, it's, it's, I think, I think it's fair to say it's underappreciated. So we, I urge you to go, maybe get ice cream at Clark's Dairy before yeah. or after. <laughs> exactly. You know, that mm. would be fine. Make a road trip of it. Or go to the Berlin Turnpike and go to Mortensen's. Also very good. <laughs> <laughs> ice cream's a whole other <laughs> It was a real thrill to have you back on the show, Mary. And nice to meet you, Basie and Jay. To many, many more road trips. And uh, hopefully uh, crowds and crowds of people can enjoy the exhibit. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks. Thanks, Dan. Take care. Thanks, Dan.